chapter 2. Now, some of you, I want to hear your stories later. If you're not too embarrassed to share them with your elder. The Lord is good, amen? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Let's go to verse 6, actually. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Peter is talking about how the Lord saves some and he has no choice but to not save others here. He says in verse 6, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them. Everybody say condemned them. Condemned them with an overthrow making them an ensample unto those that should after should live ungodly. You don't have to look far in the Bible to see what happens to the ungodly. And the, the, there are many examples over and over of the Lord giving out His grace, giving out His long-suffering, withholding His wrath up to a point, and then saying, it's time for judgment. And so he says here, he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned, condemned them with an overthrow. They're an example to people that live ungodly. Verse 7, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now pause for a second. I really don't think that God cared so much about Lot that he decided you've lived in that dirty, filthy world long enough. I'm going to take you out of it. it we know, we'll, read, we'll see it some today, that the Lord intervened to, to deliver Lot, to, to spare his life. But as it says here, he delivered just Lot vexed everybody say vexed it's obvious that this is the condition that he was living in vexed means sorely troubled not just a little bothered but but extremely troubled and in this case lot was troubled by the filthy conversation of the wicked but i i see something here lot was not just delivered out so they didn't have to live by wicked people anymore. No, what happened over time with Lot was that he got into a condition. Everybody say condition. And the condition in which he lived was vexed. He woke up every day still vexed. Went to bed that night still vexed. Got delivered out of Sodom and Gomorrah, still vexed. We don't see some magic turn of the page in Lot's life that you were this as long as you lived there, but now, praise God, you're no longer vexed. You're no longer troubled. No, you, 
you live in a place like that long enough and you can't unsee some things. You can't unhear some things. And they vexed him to such a degree that delivered Lot was vexed. Vexed by the filthy conversation of the wicked. Verse 8. For that righteous man dwelling among them. So he's righteous, but he's vexed. In seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You, again, you get exposed to enough of it repeatedly, and it's going to have an impact on your spirit. He's a righteous man, but he's living among unrighteous people, and their unrighteous living is impacting him greatly. Verse 9 the Lord knoweth how, everybody say the Lord knows. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. The Lord knows how. Right there, the verse says, he knows how to. It doesn't say that he always does. If the Lord always delivered every righteous person out of every temptation, thank God there'd be no more sin. He knows how to. And equally, just as he knows how to reserve or to deliver, he knows how to reserve the unjust unto the day. That does not say... He knows how to punish the unjust. He does. But the, the meaning of this scripture is, I've got a time clock, and it's rolling, whether anybody notices it or not. And all those who are unjust are reserved. Everybody say they got a reservation. reservation. They've got a reservation to judgment. The Lord knows how to reserve them. All right, we're going to move on. Genesis. We're going to look at this story just a little bit today. Genesis chapter 13, verse 7. Genesis 13, verse 7. And there was strife. Everybody say strife. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. Abram said to Lot, verse 8, there, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. We've got so many herds and so many shepherds working over those herds there's not enough land in this area for yours and mine both verse 9 is not the whole land before thee separate thyself I pray thee from me if thou will take the left hand then I will go to the right 
or if thou depart to the right hand, I will go to the left. Next verse. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Well-watered plains. This is what happens when you look in the natural for direction for spiritual things. You don't see what's really there. The Lord, I promise you, looked at that and he said, I, I tell you what I see, I see ashes. I know what's going on there. But in the, in, the, in the natural, when we try to look and observe and think, well, things are, must be going pretty good there. That person looks like they are prospering. I'm just telling you what we read in 2 Peter says they've got a reservation. But when we look without the understanding and we think, Man, I wonder what they did to make that grass so green. I wonder what they did to make their life appear to be going so well. We see it in the natural, but we miss the spiritual condition. Everybody say discernment. You know discernment is a gift. A gift of the Spirit of God. And He would desire to give all of us the gift of discernment and the knowledge of how to use that gift. When you discern something, you know right or wrong, truth or false. You look at it and you say, I know that that grass looks green, but I'm not so sure about the soil underneath it. I'm not so sure about the conditions surrounding it. And you use discernment to know. Lot did not use discernment. When he looked to say, which way am I going to go? I have to separate Abraham, my uncle. He told me, separate yourself. So I know I've got to go somewhere. But he looked in the natural. Saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest Unto Zoar, verse 19, where were we? verse 11. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves, the one from the other. Verse 12. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. Verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly just ponder this for a moment does that mean that the men of Canaan were righteous I'm just posing the question but we know we can look in, the, in through how, throughout history Canaan is the promised land that God chose for his people the Lord is not looking at the current circumstance he's looking at the future and he knows i have a place prepared for you i have goals for you to check off i have 
future for you to live. I have promises and blessings waiting that I'm waiting to bestow on you. But you can't see them right now. They're in the future. The men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Jump over, if you would, to chapter 18. A, the, Abraham, even though they separate, Abraham still stays directly connected to the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Chapter 18, verse 1. I'm going to try to read through this quickly, but I want you to see what's happening here. The Lord appeared unto him, Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Verse 2, and he lifted up, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men. Everybody say, three men. Who, who did it say in verse 1 appeared to him? The Lord. The Lord appeared to him. And he looks and he sees three men. I don't want to get too hung up on this, but in this passage, you will see how the Lord operates. How he moves. How he manifests himself. How he speaks. You see that in here. It starts with that very real, clear understanding that the Lord appeared to Abraham. But when Abraham sees the appearance of the Lord, he sees three men. Oh, don't even go there. He lifted up his eyes. Lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them. This is how I know he's seeing the Lord and going to meet the manifestation of the Lord. It wasn't like he's sitting in the, the tent door and the Lord comes and sits beside him and the Lord appeared to him and there's God there next to Abraham and then wait, I see three guys. Hang on. Uh-uh. No. If that was the Lord right there next to him, I promise you, he would not get up and run away from him. No, he's going to meet the appearance of the Lord that he sees in the form of three men sent by God. When he saw them, he ran to meet them, bowed himself toward the ground and said, verse 3, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, Pass not away, I pray, from thee, thy servant. Next verse. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet. Rest yourselves. Rest yourselves. That's plural, right? But he started, he said, my Lord. I don't even know that Abraham fully understands who and how the Lord is manifesting himself right there to him. But he knows these men, uh, we don't just have visitors like this all the time. And I'm close enough with God to know when he shows up, when he speaks. Jump down, if you will, to verse 9. They've got something to say. The Lord has something to say. They said unto him, Where is Sarah, thy wife? And he said, Behold, she's in the tent. Verse 10, he said, <laughs> Sorry, I, I just I read a little bit too much sometimes to... To go past this. Verse 9 said, they said. Verse 10 says, he said. This is not a oneness 
uh, message today, although every message should be a oneness message. But I'm, I'm not trying to dwell on this or belabor it, but the Lord appears to Abraham. Abraham sees three men. He runs to those three men and says, My Lord, not my Lord's, my Lord, they said to him, Where's your wife? He said, she's in the tent. And he said, back to him. You see, it's jumping back and forth between he and they. They and he. One and three. Don't get, don't get distraught over that. Just read the Bible. The Lord will help you. He said, I will return unto thee according to the same time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Jump down to verse 16. The men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. Our, our message here to Abraham and Sarah is done, but our purpose that we were sent for is not done. This was like, the first thing, on the first stop on the way was stopping and telling Abraham and Sarah, you're going you're gonna to have another baby. A baby. And now we got more business to attend to. They look off and they see Sodom that way and they start to head there. And Abraham's like, oh, where are we going? We're going to Sodom? Okay, I'll, I'll help you get there. Keep reading, verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do. Verse 18, seeing Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. All the nations are going to be blessed through him. Verse 20, the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous. Keep, keep watching this. I, I said, just read the Bible. Let, let the Bible... Interpret the Bible. Let the Word of God be the Word of God. And you'll, you, you can read one story and learn five lessons. I will go now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. I'm visiting Sodom to see. Understand. These men, or, or these men, these messengers, these angels, these representations of God are there. And it said again in verse 1 of that last chapter, the Lord appeared. Sometimes when the Lord appears, he looks a lot like a man, especially in these encounters. Sometimes when the Lord appears, he looks like more than one man, especially in these account encounters. But these messengers, these these angels, these men, however you want to call it, sent from God for a purpose. Now they say, I will go and see. I'm going to go check out Sodom. Why? Because you really don't know what's happening there? That can't be it. He's all-knowing. Right? I've heard rumors. I've got to go check him out. Huh? He's all-knowing. He knows whether the rumor is true or not before he even hears it. But he says, I'm going to go see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, 
which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. Next verse. The men turned their faces. Uh, let, me just, let me just give you a reminder that frequently throughout all, all time that we see in the Bible, the Lord has a convoy. All right? There's one on this side and one on that side, or one in front and one behind. So don't, again, don't try to get caught up and read into who's doing what, when, and how many, where, and how. And No, just let the Lord give you that. So the men turned their faces from thence, went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. I just love God. He doesn't have multiple personalities, but he's got multiple manifestations. I would dare say he has unlimited manifestations. And you know, we say he's everywhere at all times. He's omnipresent. So why is it so hard to see that he could divide and stay and talk to Abraham and go and visit Sodom and Gomorrah? If he can, I mean, he can do anything. (laughs) He's just giving us a little bit of a glimpse to understand just how easily he can do anything. So uh, Abraham stays and talks to the Lord. This is a little bit of the conversation. All right. Verse 23. Abraham drew near. Everybody say he drew near. Drew near to who? Drew near to what? To God. Drew near to God. Said, wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Will you also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? Verse 25. That be far from thee to do after this manner. You wouldn't destroy an entire city at the expense of fifty righteous people. I just I know you well enough to know that you don't act like that. Because there's nations all over the place that are majority wicked, majority evil. And they've got some righteous people there. I mean, if you did that to them, you'd just wipe them out too. That'd be far from thee to do. Twenty-eight, nope, twenty-seven. Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I pray thee, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure, there shall lack the five of the fifty. Be just forty-five. I think it would be good if you could make it a goal of yours to get so close to the Lord, have such a strong relationship with the Lord that you might even entertain the idea of negotiating with him. I don't expect to win. Don't expect to have your way. But be bold. Know him well enough to say, I've seen you do this before. Remember back when I was this and they were that and you did this? Well, this is kind of like that. Would you do it again? There's nothing wrong with that. That's a real relationship with God. Amen? Be real with the Lord. 
Would you save it if there's only 45? The Lord says, sure. I'll save it for 45. And you know he, he whittles them down. 50, 45, 30, 10. Would you spare the entire two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 10 righteous people there? The Lord knows how many righteous people are there. I mean, he's got his two messengers on the way to go see, but it's not like they're going to find out and report back to him and give him new information. He knows who's there, how many are there, and he knows the ultimate plan. And so he says, sure, to prove to you, Abraham, because you're just this guy that needs some proof and some help sometimes, to prove to you how, who I am and how good I am and how caring and long-suffering, I'll, I will spare the city if I find ten righteous people. I know I'm not going to find them. And Abraham, I don't know, Abraham knows at least a little bit of the family. He knows he's got Lot, the nephew. He knows Lot's married. That's two. He knows Lot has two daughters. That's four. He knows both of those daughters are married. Look it up. Son-in-laws. So how many we got now? Six. Thank you, William. Six. I can live with six, Lord, because if there's six, and they're, if they're righteous, I don't believe you would harm them. You ever wonder why he didn't take it down to five? I'll tell you why. We, you, we find it out, but I'll just give you the Cliff Notes version. Because these men show up to Lot. See, some of you are wondering why there was only, how there was three men if only two men went to Sodom and Gomorrah. We started with three, now we're down to two. Two men go to Sodom and Gomorrah, they go to Lot, and they say, you better get out of here now, the Lord's about to destroy the city. Uh, who, what? Who are you? Where'd you come from? No time? Get your stuff and go. Tell your, son, tell your son-in-laws and your daughters and your wife, go now. Vexed Lot. Go now. So he goes to the son-in-laws and says, Gentlemen, I don't have time to explain. Two men came and said, We are all going to be destroyed. These cities are going to be destroyed. I need you to pack up your stuff, get your wives, and leave. And it says they mocked him. What? Oh, there's vexed Lot. He's just always talking about how bad people are. He's always talking about how evil the city is, how wicked these people are. And uh, now he's got this crazy idea that the Lord's going to destroy all of us, the city, the two cities. Lot realizes I'm not getting anywhere with these guys. I'm at least going to go save my daughters and my wife takes them. Now we're down to four. You know the story. The Lord leads them out, calls them out, tells them, get out of here. Let's just read it. Verse, uh, nine, chapter 19, verse 24. I encourage you to read all the way through this. I'm just kind of 
picking some of these verses to give you context. The Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. What did, what did 2 Peter say? He said, it said he turned them to ashes. Turned those cities to ashes. This is how he did it. He rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord. Let's put it this way. We ought to be careful if we ever feel or sense a little bit of mockery in us about somebody that would pronounce not their own judgment, but that the Lord will judge a person or a group or a sin. I don't want to be in that place. They used to call them hellfire preachers. Pre preachers that preach hellfire and brimstone. You probably heard that. And it's in the Bible. It's true. It really happened. And it said it there again where we started in 2 Peter. The Lord knows how to reserve unto judgment those who he will punish. I don't know. I just think a lot of times we, feel, we, we struggle to realize that God, <clears throat> our loving Father, is also one who punishes. We know, I don't, I, I'm not going to try to take too much more time, but we know our perception of God very frequently matches or in least some degree is similar to the parent or parents that we had. Uh, from a child, you, 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 the first thing you learn as a child growing up is authority. Who's in charge of me? What are, what, what are they going to tell me, and how am I going to respond? Now, this is universal. It's not about good parents and bad parents. It's not about the loving. It's not about the helicopter parents. It's not about any one particular type of mom or dad, but we tend to project our view of our parents onto God. Either one way or the other, we say he's either just like them or he's the exact opposite of them. If I had the great parents, the loving, kind, forgiving, oh, that must be what the Lord is like. He must be loving and kind and forgiving. If I had terrible parents, abusive, rude, mean parents, then I think, oh, the Lord might be like that, that extreme, or... Maybe he's the exact opposite. And he is the loving and kind and forgiving parent that that person had. But either way, we are projecting a view of God that fits into our mind, our mind frame, and say, he must be like this, he must do that, because that's what I relate to. That's, that's how I know and understand the Lord. But we don't necessarily understand or believe or see how he could punish. I would dare say 
the majority of this room would, would say, I was not punished appropriately when I was a kid. My punishment was either too harsh or too lax. I got away with so much. And if they would have been actually hard on me, I probably would have been a better kid. Or they were so hard on me, they looked for every reason, every excuse to punish me. But either way, we have this view of punishment shaped in our minds that says it's not right. Therefore, we don't know what right punishment really is. How do you actually punish a wrongdoer? Slap on the wrist? Put him in the corner? Take away their allowance? Bend them over the knee? How, what, what's the right way to punish? And now we're just talking about children. Lord forbid we talk about teenagers and then grown-ups and then expand this to our whole society and say, how do you punish a wrongdoer? I don't know, but... I see enough articles every now and then that says this person was not judged correctly according to our correctional system. They should have got this. We want to be hard on some people. Some people. We want to be hard on some people. The ones that we think need harsher punishment. Again, because we really don't understand punishment. The only one you should be punishing is the one God gives you that responsibility over. And there, even there, you better be seeking the Lord about how to. The Lord, we need wisdom from God. In this area, if no other area. I don't want my kids to turn out like that. I don't want them to turn out like that. And I know if I do one thing, they're probably going to be like this. If I do another thing, they do, they're going to turn out like this. I don't know what to do. We need the wisdom of God. I tell you what, one thing, they will grow up, live a life, and then die a death, and then face an eternal judgment. They will. You will. I will. That puts a little bit more perspective on some things. Because I'm actually most concerned. Who was it? I don't even remember who it was. I, the Lord's probably blocking my mind on purpose. Somebody told me at men's conference, my child asked me, Dad, what's your biggest fear? What's the thing you worry about the most? I mean, you're brave, you're big, you're strong. You're dads. Dads don't get scared. My kids think all the time, we're going to scare him. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Ah, oh, it didn't work. What scares you? So they asked, this, this man said, my child asked me, what scares you? And the gentleman said, I'll tell you what scares me. The thought that you, my child, will grow up and leave the Lord. That scares me. Dads, we have a responsibility. And we don't like to be scared of a lot. We don't like, we, we, want, we want to project strength. We want to project security. Fast, steadfast. 
But I would dare say all of us in the room would say, my biggest fear, the thing I don't want to see happen is my children leave the Lord. Because you know what? I know the Lord rewards and punishes accordingly. I know the Lord says, whatsoever a man sows, he's also going to reap that. Now, I got the responsibility and thank the Lord, those of us with, with influence over our children, be they young or old, we still have the ability to say, you know what? If you do this, this is going to happen. Not because I said so or your mom said so. Because the Bible says it whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. I want want to reap the Lord's grace and I want to reap his mercy. So you know what I should be sowing. I want to reap his love. So you know what I should be sowing. I want to reap his patience. I need him to be patient with me. So you know what I should be sowing. I don't want him to be mad at me. I don't want him to be harsh towards me. I want him to be loving and forgiving. So what do I need to be sowing? Forgiveness, love, kindness, grace, patience. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. I wish Lot would have looked his two son-in-laws in the face and said, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You can say whatever you want to say about me. But God is not mocked. And whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life everlasting. Why don't we stand? I've got to look for ways. I have to, everybody say intentional. I have to look for ways to sow to the Spirit. And I have to look for ways to ensure that I am not sowing to the flesh. We are flesh. We are people. We are human beings. We have flesh. And it likes to be sown to. My flesh loves to be sown to, to be given what it likes. So if I just default to that and sow to my flesh, I can expect to receive corruption. Now it says, of the flesh, he, he, will, he that sows to the flesh receives corruption of the flesh. That means I can't even expect another man to deal honestly with me. And it's not, a, it's not even necessarily an in-kind reaping. I could be sowing to the flesh, 
Lies, lies, lies. Flesh, that's the, that's the flesh. Just an example of one thing I'm so into, because my flesh doesn't like to get in trouble, doesn't like to be have things found out, so I'm going to sow lies to the flesh. And then over here, I'm going to reap from the flesh another form of corruption. That means I can't expect, when I, uh, when I go buy a car from a man, I can look him in the eye and I can hope he's telling the truth. But I, I, I should not expect to receive truth. Because sowing to my flesh rewards me. Corruption of the flesh. Will we just close our eyes and pray for a moment? Lord, all things are open and honest before you. You know all things, Lord. You're the giver of life. You're the rewarder of those that seek you. You're the giver of love. God, you're the giver of patience and long-suffering. It all comes from your spirit. God, and you also reward men according to their deeds, according to their actions. If they do not repent, if they, if they do not turn from their own wicked ways. God, I thank you for giving me this opportunity today to receive grace from you. Lord, I confess right now, I'm just a human. I'm a human with faults and failures, Lord. I, I could do nothing, God, without you. On my own, I'm just a sinner. I'm just flesh, God. But you've given me this opportunity to allow for your spirit to move into my life. You've given me this opportunity to sow some things to the spirit. To sow some things. To bury some things. God, to labor in some things of the spirit. To spend time in prayer. To spend time talking about you. To spend time witnessing to spend time reading your word and receiving from you. I sow to the Spirit. Lord, I want my work to be spiritual in nature. I want my days, I want my time, my efforts, I want them to be spiritual in nature. In the name of Jesus, I'm opening this altar right now. I'm going to ask you, if you would, come and find a place to pray. Be honest before the Lord. Come on. The Lord wants to do some things here today. He'll do them if we allow. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I'm open and honest before you. there's more of you that want to find a place to pray. Find a place to pray and get right with the Lord right now. We take care of ours. The Lord will intervene in the name of Jesus.
together. Lift your voice in prayer to the Lord. Just let the Lord hear the cry of your heart right now. Let the Lord hear the cry of your heart right now. In the name of Jesus. The Lord is calling some people to a place of consecration right now. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. The Lord is calling people to a place of consecration. He expects you. He's given you this opportunity to make decisions and choices that will show and prove, not to anybody else, but to yourself and the Lord. I'm consecrated to you, God. I'm submitted to you, Jesus. Lord, I place myself under your authority. Come on, this is a spiritual thing. We can't produce this ourselves. This is the work of the Lord in you. This is the work of the Lord being done in you. Come on, sow it to the Spirit right now. Sow it to the Spirit in the name of Jesus. says those that sow in tears those that sow in tears shall doubtless reap in joy hallelujah come on sometimes the Lord just wants to move you to a place of sowing over another person over another situation over another life over another group over another family Lord I'm sowing right now in the name of Jesus Lord, I want to have your heart formed in me. I want to have your love formed in me, God. I want to see the lost brought to repentance. God, I want to see the sinner saved by your grace. God, I want to see those that are struggling. I want to see them overcome. God, I want to see it. 
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, God. Lord, I want to see them turn towards you. I want to see them turn towards you, oh God. I want to see the lost child return. God, I want to see the lost family member return and be saved. God, I want to see the word penetrate their heart. I want to see the word of the Lord produce in them. I want to see it be fruitful in them. I want to see them grow in grace. I want to see them grow in the knowledge and understanding of God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. just reach out to the Lord. I'm not asking for a big response. I'm just asking for you to reach out to the Lord and connect to Him. Connect to the work that His Spirit is doing. Connect to the Word that He shared with you today. God, I want to see it brought forth. God, I want to see it brought forth to complete. God, you know the lost of this city. God, you know the lost of this town, the lost in this valley. God, you know each one. You see each one. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, God. I believe you have a place of repentance reserved for each one, God, for each one that you would bring and draw by your spirit to find that place of repentance, to find that place of change, to find that place of consecration and being made holy before you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, I surrender to you, God. Not my own. Hallelujah. To you I belong. Hallelujah. Oh, God, I give myself to you. I give myself to you. I yield to you, God. I surrender to you, God. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, renew a right spirit, Lord Jesus.
torment in other translations that that literally translates to there's fear of punishment and it's not the will of God for us to live in a fear of punishment or fear of him bringing down the iron fist saying oh you messed up here I am to judge you here I am to destroy you God desires that we live in his, his perfect love. Amen. Great example of this is, is Job. He was a man who, in the eyes of God, was perfect and upright. He shunned evil. But he, he would daily, he would make sacrifices to God for his children in, in a fear that his children weren't living the way that they should be. And I believe he knew that some of them probably weren't living the way that they should be. And then when the Lord gives permission to Satan to touch all of Job's family and possessions, then Job reveals the fear in himself because he says, that which I feared has come upon me. 
And so we get this understanding that Job wasn't making sacrifices out of true worship or out of true love to God, but he was making these daily sacrifices out of fear, out of fear of a punishment on his children, on his family. And I, I felt this in, in worship earlier this morning that some of you maybe feel a, a hesitancy in worship because maybe there's a little bit of fear there, but also because we maybe feel like that we don't have anything to bring. We don't have anything to bring and offer as a sacrifice to God in our praise and in our worship. Whether it's we don't feel worthy or we just, we just feel like we have nothing to bring, a value of worth. And I feel like the Lord was dealing with me and saying, that's the perfect place that he wants us to be, of feeling like that we have nothing to offer, nothing to give. Because the Bible says just to present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's holy and acceptable before God. There's nothing that we can earn or, or do in our sacrifice. It's not something that we should be doing in fear of punishment, fear of his judgment. But our sacrifice of worship and presenting our bodies to God is saying, God, I know I'm not worthy. I know this sacrifice is not going to earn me anything, but I'm doing it in love, trusting, Jesus, that you will accept this sacrifice of my body today before you. Amen. Can we one more time, can we thank the Lord? I believe that God's been working. God is still working in this place. Jesus, we bring our bodies this morning. We present them a living sacrifice, God. I pray that the lie of the enemy that says that we have nothing to give would be cast out today in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that all fear would be cast out today in Jesus' name. For there's no fear in love, Jesus. There's no fear in your love, Jesus. For that love cast out all fear. The perfect love of God cast out all fear. We put a trust, we put a confidence in you, Jesus, that you accept the sacrifice of our bodies. You accept the living sacrifice of our bodies, Jesus. We don't make that sacrifice in fear. We don't come before you in fear, Jesus, but we come before you in faith. We have a faith and a confidence, Jesus, that you'll accept our sacrifice. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Amen. Elder, is there anything else? Amen. Thank you all for being here today. Have a blessed week. We'll see you on Tuesday night. And God bless you. You're dismissed.